stories, scripts, and conversations with creators. This is the Brave Maker Podcast. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to the Brave Maker Film Fest and our online experience. My name is Tony Gapastone. I get to be the founder and the executive director of Brave Maker. And since 2018, we have been seeking to elevate brave stories for justice, diversity, and inclusion. That is really our purpose. And we believe the power of film, power of storytelling, has the power to affect change in our culture, to open our minds, to help us see one another. And this week, has been just as significant when we think about where we are in the culture and the community. I'm going to bring my co-host, Karen Southall. Hi, Karen. Hey, guys. So happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Karen is a really someone who really embodies the, the mission of Brave Maker. She has been on the pavement literally with her protests and using her voice and advocacy to spread the word about racial justice. And I'm so glad that we get to partner together and we've been doing so for quite some time. So anything you want to share before we uh, thank our sponsors and get into our interview today? I mean, I think that Brave Maker, um, this is something that you guys have been doing for a while. So I would just like to just shed some light on the fact that even talking about a lot of the injustice that's going on in the world, this is not just a trendy thing or a trendy thing to talk about. This is stories that we've been highlighting um, for number of years. And so it's just great to be a part of a community and a team that will continue to talk about um, what Brave Makers is all about. Awesome. awesome. Thank you, Karen. Karen and I are both represented by the SF Talent Agency uh, of um, Marla Dell Talent, known as MDT Agency. And we want to say thank you to them because they are one of our ongoing sponsors. They continue to support brave stories. And we use that word justice a lot because that's an important part of our culture. And we believe the arts can affect justice, meaning making things equitable for all people, uh, all orientations, all races. And the beautiful thing about MDT is they value that in their talent. So Karen and I are both represented by MDT. So huge shout out to all the agents over there and owner and president Michelle McCullough for saying yes to partnering with us. And we also need to say thank you to the San Mateo Arts Commission. They just gave us a grant to continue to do this work. So huge thank you to the commissioners over there of San Mateo County Arts Commission for helping us out, especially during COVID-19. We're so thankful for your support. If you are a company or a grant giver uh, and you wanna support the arts, can you please find me and uh, Let's talk because we are a mission-minded organization that believes that artists and the storytelling vehicle is a powerful tool for today's culture. And we're going to continue to go after the film and the arts and the music industry as a way. And today, dance. We're going to talk about dance and how the power of dance can bring freedom and stories to our life. So with that, I'm going to, it's just really cool, I'm going to invite a an oscar nominated filmmaker who i got to meet i don't know maybe two years ago when she was in the bay area screening her film called inventing tomorrow we went to pixar together and now she is an oscar nominated filmmaker for her film called walk run cha-cha so welcome laura hi thanks so much for having me laura uh karen is an avid dancer so she has a, a yeah <laughs> she, she uses her body and we'll talk about that because you you highlight <laughs> These amazing dancers, Paul and Millie, and uh, how their 
story of coming to America uh, as refugees from Vietnam was powerfully enhanced by them finding themselves in a dance class. I, I was watching it again this morning, two, three, four, cha-cha. I had this on my mind, like the rhythm, the movement, and there's such power in this story. So we'd love to just have you start uh, by talking about how you got into becoming a documentary filmmaker. Hmm, that's a good question. It's a big question, actually. Um, <laughs> I didn't go to film school. Um, I was um, a history major and um, I studied American cultural history. And then after I graduated, I mean, I was interested in film, but I didn't go to a college that taught any film classes at all. So I didn't really have much exposure. Um, but I saw a couple of films that were really important to me. And, and then I got a job as an apprentice editor uh, working in documentary is one of my first jobs out of school. And I kind of got the bug and very many, many, many years later, I'm still doing it. So um, I think it's because um, I studied music and dance as a young person. Mm -hmm. And there's something about music and dance and history and you put those together and it allows you to kind of combine um, all these different forms. And I, I think because I worked in music and dance and did work in that, I like a time-based medium. I like making something that I can kind of control how it's experienced. And that's what, it was a very natural fit to go into documentary film. Wow, that's super awesome. Can you actually tell us a little bit more about your new film? Well, this film that came out? Sure. Um, Dance, I, Cha -cha. Yes, so I was um, doing research on another film project actually. And um, I, uh, what was happening is that I, I walked into this dance studio in the middle of Alhambra, California, which is a suburb of Los Angeles. And there were, uh, you know, maybe 40 Asian people dancing the tango. And I was like, what is this beautiful world? What is going on here? And what I discovered was um, the studio was, um, it's, it's owned by um, a Taiwanese family. And most of the um, clients are all from the Chinese diaspora and but the the actual um, instructors are from Eastern Europe mostly and so there's professional Eastern European ball dancers ballroom dancers who are teaching uh, people sorry about the helicopter um, teaching people from the Chinese diaspora Latin dance and that mix of cultures seemed to me to be a great uh, you know setting for a movie. So I started taking dance classes there. I took dance classes there for a year and I met Paul and Millie in one of my classes because I was attending um, a class taught by Max and Elena, who you just saw, and mm -hmm. they were in my class and we became friends. And um, after a year, I asked them if they were comfortable being filmed and they said yes. And so um, I filmed them for six years. And that eventually um, the New York Times um, had heard about, New York Times and Concordia Studio had heard about this project that I was doing and they were doing a series about immigration for the New York Times and they asked me if I would be willing to make a short of my material and that's how this particular film came about. So I love cool. that. I remember when you were at Pixar and you know they always ask you, what's your next project? And you were two years ago talking about this project in the works. So, so beautiful that you get to, uh, share with the world, and we'll talk about how it became Oscar nominated. But let's bring in the featured subjects. Hi, Paula. Oh, 
So let's talk. We, uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna turn it over to Karen actually, because Karen is <laughs> is the dancer, and I love, I love the line that you talked about the freedom in your body and what it did to you. Oh my gosh, that's such a good line. And if you're watching this, you're just tuning in, and you're like, what? How do I see the film? It's out in the world. It's in this very link at the top. So go watch it. Come back, watch in the replay, or just watch it and get spoilers and uh, get to meet these two. But Karen, I'm gonna turn it over to you. Yes, I would say just from my own dance, dance background, um, I've been in theater, I've been in production, I've done a lot of different styles of dance. I did ballet folklorico, I did ballroom, I did musicals, so we had to learn all different things. And so what was beautiful um, was the fact that you guys talked about that feeling of freedom when you when you were dancing and how free you, you felt, especially, I love how Laura just like mixed the two between like dancing and what's going on revolutionary in the world, but having that sense of control of your own body and and I just want to know, like, how did you guys, um, there's a little part where you guys were like kind of falling back in love with each other. How was that experience, like learning how to dance and what did that freeing feel, that feeling feel to you? How was that? Oh my experience as I grow older and um, dance more, um, being able to dance, it gave me a sense of uh, confidence and confidence. And also, it gives me a, a freedom of expression and see it as a personal development at my age. Yeah. Um, more I dance and practice, I learn the movement and um, the routine of the dance. I realize that I need to memorize it and retain it at my head. Yeah, that's beautiful. I think there's a couple moments, like there's one thing between like memorizing movement, but then also bringing in that emotion and that connection to make it look really surreal and like allow to capture the audience. And I remember there was a part where you were talking about uh, Paul being like, show more emotion, you know? So how was that for you, Paul, um, being able to express emotion in, in the dance as well? Yeah, we just experienced the internet connection problem. So I was like, uh, not reacting to what you guys were talking about. <laughs> Can you hear me what I said before? Well, it's perfect yeah. because because Karen was saying about how she called you out for emotions. <laughs> uh, uh, thank emotions. you. I called Paul out on emotions, right? Because uh, I think when you're learning and memorizing movement, it can look very cut and paste because you're just trying to follow through. But I to capture too. emotion and to capture the audience, you have to show that emotion. Yeah. So I was going to say, like, what were some of those? Um, obstacles for you in creating this. Oh, no problem. He's always full of emotion. Well, I need to learn. <laughs> I need to learn. Uh, we we learn dancing at very quite late time, late stage. So definitely, uh, can you hear us? We see we you and hear you here. great. Yeah, you look great and we hear you great. We can hear you. Okay. Uh, so at a late stage that we're learning, so it's very hard. Our body's stiff. My mind is also kind of not as as agile as it used to be. However, the opportunity of being able to learn and exposed to the dance is such a, a great experience. Uh, I never would have thought that I would do so much, learn so much, and even perform in some of the set, uh, uh, like a annual performance or go dancing competition. Not, not to mention, uh, let alone going to Laura's film. So anyway, uh, this this is a great opportunity. But for me myself, uh, being able to do all these things is really, really 
fantastic, and uh, I'm very, very uh, grateful for that, being able to have this opportunity. So I watched the film again today. I mean, I'd watched it months ago in the process, and I was really sad. Number one, because we were going to have this be the opening night film of our film festival in May, and we we had this huge. Um, like open square in our city. And we were going to do a cha-cha dance lesson in the middle of this big square. And we had another dance film where oh, so I was so, so bummed to have to give this up. But we're glad that we can host this, you know, online in, on, in the digital world. But as I was watching it again today, it hit me in a really different way, really emotionally based on where we are in culture today as we talk about racial injustice happening all across the country as we talk about you know for for me the the, the majority culture response in our you know I own this too my own ignorance toward people who have immigrated to this country to people who have color who feel there's constantly you know violent attacks against them as well as uh, bias against them and the the themes of the film I don't hit me in a different way today. Hit me like like wow, like the realization of even even more how important it is for the arts because the art really seemed to bring you together. Like the dance, the art of dance brought you healing. And going back to that emotion and motion thing, it just struck me our simple human capability that when we draw literally, when we draw close to people, when we move close to engage physically, even though we're physical distancing, but when we move close to listen, to hear people's stories that this, it seems to help us unify more and melt away all these differences. So I just wanted to, I guess that's a kudos to you, Laura, for finding this story and a kudos to you, Paul and Melly, for sharing it and being willing to let your life tell the story because that's not an easy thing, um, which will lead to a question coming in from one of our viewers who says, for narrative filmmaking, the adage there is the film that you write and the film you shoot and the film you edit. Mm -hmm. Do you find the same to be true with documentary? When do you feel you have the story? How does the story evolve through the process? Maybe you want to talk about that with Walk, Run, Cha-Cha when you found this story, Laura. Sure. Um, I mean, documentary films often find our story in the edit room because um, I, I walk into a film usually with a series of questions more so than, we, you know, there's no way to script it because you don't know exactly what's going to happen. You can attempt mm -hmm. to kind of give yourself a skeleton of what you think might happen, um, but you have to be ready for everything to change drastically and, and improvise around what you're actually finding. So we really write our films in the edit room, and that's why we typically take so long to edit our films. Um, for, for example, this film took about 10 weeks to edit and it's a 20 minute mm -hmm. film. Some people, you know, edit entire feature films in three months, you know, so that's, it's very fat. It's, that's considered slow, right? To be cutting something at that speed. So I think you just have to, you have to be, you have to walk in with a sense of what you're about to capture and what you want to capture and what you want to say, but you have to be ready to have your film tell you something else. This particular film, we started out really thinking that it was about dancing and aging. And, and it is about dancing and aging, but it became much more personal. And, and once Paul and Millie and I got to know each other more and they were able to tell me more stories about their, their mm -hmm. background and their journey from Vietnam to the US and how that inflected this moment in their lives, then it became a different film because we were able to really see it through the lens of their marriage. And I, I think that that really helped a great deal to be able to 
to tell a story about the present, but it was really through the lens of the past. I love that. That was beautiful. I feel like that whole connection with, because it makes you think that you're like, oh, they're, they're of this certain age. And, you know, I feel like there's a lot of young uh, couples out there that can learn from that, like how to spice up your relationship, like going and learning a new style of dance and just being able to, to tap on those levels. I, I think it's just a powerful thing because I feel like what you were talking about with a lot of the struggles and obstacles that you guys had with getting into America, do you feel, and I would say for, for Paul and um, Millie, like that the dancing was like a healing um, experience for you guys with your mental health, like how to like kind of push out of like, okay, we made it, but like, how can we actually heal a lot of the hurt and the things that we had to go through? Because I think you guys were separated for like six years or so before you finally like got back together and actually like reconnected. So do you want to share a little bit about that? I think Paul went to America first. It, it is hard for me at that time because that is, I don't see any future Everybody in Vietnam at that time, we don't see future. So, and I'm not sure whether I will see Paul again. So, the relationship probably on hold. At that time, every day we just want to get out from the country. Uh, so it is tough. But when I came to America, I have to rebuild the relationship with Paul. Um, it take a uh, it takes some time and it takes trust and it's all, uh, a lot of tear and and well, well, we got through it. You want to add? I, I guess also. Uh, we are like a very fortunate in a way, very fortunate in a way that we were able to successfully uh, come to this country um, from a very difficult situation uh, in, a, in a country, in a situation where you have very little hope of your future. And so I was uh, very lucky to make it here. And of course, uh, our life is thinking about, uh, you know, make a living, uh, learn something, do something, uh, make a normal life, have a normal life. And that's the most we can, uh, we have, we can think of. But uh, the luxury of going into learning dancing, I never have that kind of thought until the last 10 years. Uh, when we have a lot of time. So uh, naturally, uh, we we were very lucky. We have been very lucky to uh, meet the right people, uh, Max and Elena, to learn the dancing things with also with, now that we also learn standard dance with uh, Grace and Alex. Uh, so we have two couple, two teachers, couple teaching us two different style of dance. Uh, this is uh, basically, uh, very powerful to us because uh, as you get age and get older, uh, we start to think that we cannot do much anymore. Mm -hmm. uh, what can do is just retire. And when I'm thinking of retirement, what can I do? There's nothing. You just sit there and do nothing or do uh, your time is possibly over. The closer you, you are to the retirement age, the more that you feel like it will a little bit depressed because you feel a little bit useless. And that's at least what I'm thinking myself. And so at this stage that we are exposed to all these activity like dance performance, you know, this film, basically it's give us an, an second life. And so this is very uh, amazing and we're very uh, fortunate to, be, to have that. I love that. 
I think that's why the film was so uh, recognized by the Academy of Motion Pictures. And the, the power of your story was celebrated. And we have a special clip that I want to share. So um, Laura, now that you're an Oscar nominated filmmaker, why don't you talk about this, this moment that we're about to see? Um, well, um, you know, Paul and Millie had uh, an anniversary coming up and they had a, a big party to celebrate. And the next morning was the day that we found out whether or not we were nominated and we were on pins and needles because we had made the short list, which was thrilling, but it's incredibly competitive. And we had no idea whether or not we'd reach it to the stage of actually being nominated for an Oscar. So we got together at, um, I think it was like 5.30 in the morning and we went over to their house and sat on the same couch that Paul and Millie are sitting on right now. And, um, and this is what happened. I mean, that just goes on and on. It's so beautiful, well-earned. I mean, six to seven years of your life. If you want to see that again, you can go to Laura's Instagram at Laura. Uh, yeah, that's absolutely beautiful. I think one of the things, I, I guess, because of this production life that we all live in, there's so much joy that is just exuding out of that whole video. And it just like kind of leads me to, to ask, like, to you, Laura, like what were some of the obstacles that you faced in regards to like funding and production and, you know, just the completion to finally get to that point where you're now an Oscar nominee, so. Well, I'm an independent filmmaker, so we're constantly struggling with how to find funding and, and um, how to make these dreams become real. I mean, I filmed with Paul and Millie for six years and the reason that, it, that, that I was taking so long is because I wasn't able to find um, adequate funding to make the film. And so until, I got a couple grants, but it wasn't enough to really like go for it. And I always knew that I wanted to do a staged dance sequence in the film. And that took more resources than I was able to, to do personally. So um, I hung in there. And, um, and then in the end, it became, I think, a better film because of the amount of time that I spent with Paul and Millie and that, that amount of time I spent in their community with their friends, with their teachers, with the other dancers. I mean, I really... I feel very grateful that people were open to me and that Paul and Millie, um, you know, honored me by giving me access to their story. And it became a deeper story because of the length of time that I spent on it. So I think that's, that's a, you know, a lesson for anybody is that when you, when you don't get the money, you just have to keep going and you can't make it contingent upon those types of conditions. You just have to really, stick by your vision and decide that you just have to go for it in whatever way you possibly can. And it, it might take a long time, but if it, if you care about it, that time is, is worth it.
I love getting that type of advice and tips because a lot of our audience are people who are filmmakers, who are brave makers trying to tell a story. And so we hear that a lot. You can't wait for permission. You can't wait for the money. You got to slug the camera around, find your team, find your crew, build your tribe. I wonder for all of the documentary filmmakers out there, Paul and Millie, can you share a little bit about what it was like having Laura document your life and having her sit down and interview you and open up? Because that's not an easy thing to share your life. You know, sometimes the documentary filmmaker just kind of sits there in silent behind a camera waiting for you to talk. Sometimes they're a counselor. Sometimes they're a doula birthing thing. So I'd love to hear you share a little bit about what she did that made it easier for you so that other documentary filmmakers might learn how to care for their subjects as the way she cared for you and, and nurtured and handled your story. Uh, that's a very interesting question. Uh, it's, it's actually... Uh, we were lucky in the way that because when we met Laura, uh, she didn't ask us the first day what to do. Actually, uh, we were friends at the club and not until a year later, but still she was casually mentioning about making a film, which we thought was uh, okay. We saw that, but we're not, we're not sure. So, so for that reason, uh, we 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 did we don't, we don't get the shock one hundred percent of the first the, the first time. So uh, we have about like a five years to gradually digest the idea of doing that. And so meantime, during that five years period, uh, we, she shot uh, many sequences here and there, uh, documents our uh, our dance, our life here and there. But not until the last two two years ago that uh, when she mentioned to us the uh, the New York Times project. Uh, that is, we. That's when we realize uh, it's real. <laughs> so, uh, as you can see, this is very gradually happening to us. It was not very shock. However, uh, the fact that we are going to be uh, exposing in uh, on exposed on the film, our life uh, privacy, yeah, uh, being exposed is a little bit uh, kind of uncomfortable. I'm still feeling uncomfortable because I'm not the kind of public person. <laughs> Unfortunately, but fortunately also that uh, we, we did that and we made it. Uh, during this time, uh, Laura did prepare a lot for us, meaning uh, she told her what's going on. And, and because we're not making anything fake story, we're not making up any story. Uh, we're not really like an actor acting in a fictionally uh, a fiction movie. So it's a lot easier for us because all we have to do is just act ourselves. So uh, <laughs> so that's why it's not that bad. But uh, we're still quite uh, very shocked <laughs> with this whole experience. As you can see, every time she tell me to do something, go somewhere, I kind of been pushed, not really say, okay, I want to go. <laughs> I love that. It's very naturally because Laura gave me an impression is she is a very friendly and genuine, genuine and very trustful friend. So we easier to share our uh, story with her because we trust her. And to be on the film, this is our honor because at that time we didn't think that big picture with the Oscar, something is unthinkable. But we only think, oh, that is good. It, it keep it at a uh, record and then so we can show our daughter in the future. Uh, this is uh, somebody can record it. We, we are nothing. We are not like a movie star. We are 
very ordinary people, but Laura just give us the chance to record our story. So I feel grateful and, and I get used to it. <laughs> I wondered if your dance class got a little more um, registrations and signups. Did that happen as a result of this Oscar nomination? <laughs> oh, actually, I after our film uh, got Oscar nominated, I think a few guys came to Lilai and they, they asked about us. And then one guy even approached Paul. And uh, and then he said, I want to make the same thing at Lilai about dance. <laughs> so great. He, he is, he's also a, a young producer, uh, a director uh, out of school. And he was trying to do to make a film also. And he trying to get some idea by going to Lilai and hearing about the film. And I was talking to him and say, oh, you're following Laura's path. <laughs> <laughs> one, of, one of our programmers, Robertina, says, congrats on your Oscar nomination. Thank you for Thank sharing you. the beautiful so love story. I love that love story. Mm -hmm. I really felt the passion and realized that dance is really powerful and bring personal freedom. I am ready to cha-cha. Welcome on board. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Karen, did you want to take the next question? I mean, just the comment, I'll, I'll, I'll ask a question, but just the comment on what you guys just said, like in regards to how um, other people who are um, film directors that want to be doing documentaries, like how to cultivate, like Laura did, that type of trust, like six years of being around you guys and just like molding into your guys' lives, but also taking classes herself, which I thought was like really powerful. It's like, how can you share a story and like talk about a story unless you actually experience and kind of walk in those footsteps and be like, how is it hard to, how does it feel like to just learn something new? Because in our age, as we continue to grow, it's retraining and relearning and unlearning stuff in some cases, right? Because we have certain patterns, but, um, yeah, I just wanted to just kind of talk to Laura and a little bit more too. Is like how how was that experience? Like you said, you went into doing some dance and and type of stuff as well. Like you were able to capture some amazing scenes, like when they were eating in the living room, in the dining room. And I I I was watching. I was like, how does she capture these shots? That just people just look so comfortable and they're like yelling and laughing at each other. Like, did you have to kind of wait and pause and kind of just wait until you captured it and saw those things? Like, just talk to us about some of the direction behind that? Um, well, the, the trick with making a documentary film is, you know, you film a lot. We have a very crazy shooting ratio in comparison to fiction. And so for people who have worked in both sides and I've made both fiction and nonfiction films. And when you are about to shoot a fiction film, everything is planned. You know, you can build elements of um, improv improvisation into that, but for the most part, what you're doing is, you know, you have a plan, you have a script, you're gonna go shoot your script. And in this case, I only have ideas about what I think is gonna happen because I spent so much time in the studio. I, I know um, kind of what goes on there and I know what happens when they hang out with their friends. And I know like if we're gonna go film a lunch scene, you know, I have a sense of the kinds of conversations that are gonna happen. I don't know exactly what's gonna happen, but I have a feeling about what might happen. So it's it's really a matter, if you can, to spend enough time somewhere so that you really get a sense of knowing people and knowing you know, what might transpire um, and kind of setting up situations like, hey, can we go film lunch? Or, or you know, can I come over and um, 
film with the family is doing tonight, you know, or you guys are going to dinner with these friends and I've seen you have dinner with those friends before because I've attended dinners like that. So I kind of get a sense of like the humor and what might happen. And so I have a rough plan of how I might film that. It's, it's very improvisatory. And so if you have any background doing improvisation, um, it, re it really helps doing documentary because your best plans are completely ruined and destroyed every single time. So you have to get used to um, doing things on the fly and feeling confident about doing that and actually welcoming that because that's when the happy accidents happen. And the only thing that you can hope for is that when that moment happens that you're there and your camera's on and you're running so that you capture that moment. So it's really about being there, being there with your camera so that when these things transpire, you are capturing them in real time and in a way that you, you know, you like the way that it's filmed so you can share it later. Um, you know, we, in this film, we also made um, a, a very important decision to do a stage dance sequence, um, which is not always done in documentary. And this is where I took great liberty um, and, and a create is a creative choice. And I did that because I really wanted to show based on what Paul and Millie have expressed to me and what I've seen when I watch them dance, I wanted to give a sense to the audience of what it's like in their head when they're dancing. What's the interior world that's happening when they're doing a performance and what that feels like to them. And I think as, a, as another middle-aged person who's a dancer, you know, like I don't dance because I'm the best at it. I do it because of how it makes me feel and how I feel completely transported when I'm dancing. I feel like this incredible creature and, you know, who's, who's performing and existing in another level. And so I wanted to, to show that and create a scene that was staged in a, in a really dreamlike atmosphere um, to be able to share that moment with the, the audience of an interior space for Paul and Millie. And um, that was what led us to being able to, um, to stage this dance. You know, they, they chose the song because um, this Paul and Millie uh, say that, especially Millie, who's a huge Carpenters fan, that she really feels that this song is the encapsulation of their whole relationship. And so I was like, okay, it's not like it's easy to get access to the Carpenters, but we did. And, um, and we made this, this beautiful scene of them, of them dancing. So speaking of that, the the beauty of that and the fact that you did sort of take this cool creative liberty, I felt like really tied into the whole their whole story of liberation and the power of dance to really impact their your personal story. You, Paul and Millie, your story impacted by your art and by your coming close. And I just thought about this today. You know, my wife and I have three kids and quarantine for 14 weeks has not been easy. Uh, <laughs> and how all the tension and frustrations when we get in conflict, how we want to separate. And I just thought about that today. Like when I am frustrated and I'm willing to literally walk across the room and grab my wife's hands and go, okay, let's work this out. I love you, we're on the same team. Mm -hmm. I'm still angry and frustrated and this is not what I wanted to be. And like you said, the plans are not the way I wanted. It just does something in our chemistry, in our bodies. And I don't know, I just, I'm, I'm thinking so much because of this film today about how trauma and pain, we carry it in our body, you know? And to acknowledge that, that we can actually, you know, I'm a huge advocate of counseling. So go to counseling, everybody get counseling. It's so important, but we also get to do, we also have this permission over our body to navigate it and move it. And that has power. So I love that you ended that way. And 
car yeah getting music is like the carpenters is not cheap so you must have worked some amazing magic as an independent <laughs> filmmaker uh so kudos to you for doing that uh craig detweiler is in the comments saying it was so beautifully done by the dancers and the filmmakers uh, i'd love to hear some final comments just about um your thoughts as you kind of wrap up this journey, this is sort of like the final leg of the sharing, the film festival circuit. What are some of your takeaways as a filmmaker, Laura, as a human being, as a dancer, Laura, and then Paul and Millie as two married people, two human beings, uh, two dancers, anything, any final comments about what you're, what you're taking away from this journey? We'll start with you, Paul and Millie. I think sometimes um, being able to dance really changed my life and also improve our relationship. Um, sometimes I have a funny thought. Um, when I dance rumba, I think Karen know a lot, um, especially we use a lot of hip work, hip action like the, the movement kukaracha, and kukaracha is like swaying the, swaying the hips from side to side and form a figure eight. And it came to my mind, say, Oh, maybe when I get older, I won't be at a high risk of uh, for falling because I lose my coordination. And as a result, I did a hip replacement. So probably I, I won't need that because of dancing. <laughs> and I, and by doing this movie, it gave me so much um, the appreciation of the documentary filmmaker. Before I didn't watch a lot of documentary film, I watched a lot of drama movie, and then uh, entertainment something. But uh, on this path, when we get a filming in San Francisco, anywhere we ha we watch a lot of documentary film, and I realized that uh, something happened in all over the world I didn't know, and even as are people, uh, ordinary people, but they they struggle or they in every corner of the world. So I feel blessed that I in this situation I can see from the documentary another side of the world. So to end up is um, right now I really like to watch documentary film. I think it's the truth. I guess I'll take a little bit more, a little bit longer to like uh, talk about uh, how you know this whole thing affect my life. Uh, first is uh, I'm so uh, grateful to be able to escape the country, the communist Vietnam, and uh, arrive safe in this country. And then I was very lucky to find my job the first, the second day that I arrived. And I was also very fortunate to be able to receive the education that I really want to, which is the, uh, the college education and the master education. So with that, I really think I have a very smooth life uh, since uh, coming to this country. Uh, I, from the bottom of my heart, I'm so grateful, grateful to this country for the people, for the freedom, for everything. But then also uh, being able to, to get the right education, being able to get a good job and 
have a good life in America. I thought that was enough for somebody like me that would be great. However, when when I get approach, I approach the, the retirement age, I start to realize that, boy, after this, I'm going to be pretty much useless and not useful because I cannot do anything. And I'm just waiting there and doing what in the retirement age, doing what? Uh, so lucky during this process, I got to learn to do dancing, which has opened a brand new world, a, a whole different window, allowing you to see a different, to different view. And, uh, and part of that is more fantastic is being able to participate in that. Uh, when I came here, I did watch uh, those era, 1980, 1990, there was, there was a lot of uh, the karaoke, Chinese karaoke with uh, the, the, the shuttles karaoke, but they put a lot of the social dance and ballroom dance in the karaoke as a content. So we, I was watching and say, oh, these people are dancing well, so how can I be like that? But <laughs> soon enough, like now that we are, we have we are being part of that, and we can learn. We we, we have I have the opportunity to learn to dance, uh, which makes me feel so much better because I can move my muscle, my body in the way that it looks graceful and in the way that I, th I think it is artistic and beautiful. So to be able to do something like that, I'm not talking about professional level. I'm just talking to someone, being able to do it the way that you feel you like it, the way that you think that it, look, it looks beautiful, the way that you think that your body is flowing instead of like, a, you know, a piece of a piece of muscle moving, you know, coarsely, but here it's very smoothly and nicely. And that is a very fantastic experience. Thank you. And now, oh, I forgot to thank you, Laura, for uh, giving us the opportunity to, yes. <laughs> to really go through that, uh, that whole experience. I, I think, you know, one of the things that really struck me about Paul and Millie's story, and it stays with me still, is that is this idea of reinvention. And when they came to the United States as young people, as refugees, they really needed to reinvent themselves. They needed to learn how to speak English. They had to get jobs. They had to get used to this new culture. And they did, you know, they did it brilliantly. And that is a really tough skill to be able to do that and, and not just do it, but do it well and do it with this degree. Like they didn't just survive, they thrived, right? That's one way to, to look at it. And I really think that that is why when you know they got into their older years, they were able to reinvent themselves yet a second time as performance, as performers and as dancers. And I think if they had not had that experience of reinventing themselves the first time, they might not have been um, as good at reinventing them, themselves the second time, but they were able to do that because I think that they, they know how to do that and they have that sense of, um, what it takes. They know what hard work is. They know that you can't give up when something's difficult, that you have to keep trying. And when you're starting to learn how to dance, you're terrible for a long time, right? And you have to just work through that and have patience. And I think all of, all of those um, qualities and built a kind of capacity to be able to do this again. And, and I personally am really affected by that. I'm inspired by Paul and Millie all the time when 
when things got really hard making the film, I just had to ask myself, well, how hard is it really, Laura? <laughs> you know, um, I took lessons from that and I, I tried to, to um, listen to them and, 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 and not just hear those lessons, but heed those lessons and follow those lessons. Um, and it's really affected the way that I made this film and the way that I approach other projects. And I'm just very grateful um, to them for that. Wow. Wonderful. That's absolutely powerful. I think that um, just what you guys were just, what you just talked about, Laura, kind of just hit the whole thing on the head um, in regards to being able to reinvent each other and come and learn new things, being allowing yourself to learn. I feel like us as creatives, directors, filmmakers, we have to constantly utilize the skills of adaptability. Mm -hmm. When things come our way, we have to not only figure out what we're going to do, but how we're going to respond to it and how we're going to react to it. Right. And I feel like during this, this, this present time of what we're all going on with injustice and systemic racism and all mm -hmm. those things, it's like a lot of the times people have to unlearn stuff, relearn mm -hmm. stuff. And I love that you took the, the audience on that journey of them kind of learning these new steps with each other. I was kind of like worried if that lift was going to work out, you know, and all of a sudden it just showcases the end of this is what, when you start putting actions into motion, you get results. And so I feel like it was a beautiful flow of that and how we could see just how they did that last dance at the end, like what it looks like when you actually have unity and people are on the same level mm -hmm. of just bringing about something that's actually like powerful and beautiful. So just kudos to that. That was awesome. Thank you. And, and you know, I appreciate you bringing up what this means in this present time because as we're in a moment right now where as a culture, we need to figure out how to dismantle structural racism, that's a learning process. That means listening. That means being able to adapt. That, be, that means being able to change in a very, very deep and profound way. And, and so I think we need so many different kinds of stories to give examples of change and positive examples of change and transformation because boy, do we need it right now. We, yeah. We really need to reinvent ourselves as a culture and we need to be brave about that. And I hope that this story can be one tiny little piece of contributing to the courage that it takes for everybody to be able to do that. And I think Paul and Millie are great examples of that. I wholeheartedly agree. And one of our Brave Maker alums, Eli was in the comments. He asked one of the earlier questions, but he said, thank you so much for sharing your stories and passion. It is invigorating and inspiring in such a chaotic time. So yeah, so thank you for allowing us to hold your film in such an important time uh, to do this online film experience. Thanks for trying to figure out how to log online with this uh, digital thing and it all worked out. I'm so happy Wi-Fi was on our side for most of the, the time. Uh, so we at Brave Maker, we really believe in the power of film. That's why we exist. We are a nonprofit. We are a 501c3 nonprofit. We're all about trying to elevate brave stories. And we encourage you, if you were moved today, literally moved, go take a dance class, <laughs> go do something with the trauma and pain in your body and your life. But also it's a time to activate. It's a time to take action on behalf of the world, on behalf of our fellow human beings, on behalf of our fellow Americans, our world citizens. We need to act. And Protest and activism looks different for everybody. So don't feel as if you just have to do it one way. Some of you are great at protesting. Some of you are great at telling stories. Some of you are great at using technology and uh, the digital space to help push our country and progress us as a human race forward. Whatever it is, please do it. 
the world is waiting for you. Brave stories change the world. And our motto is you are that story. So thanks for watching. Thanks to Paul and Millie uh, for being with us. Thank you so much. Thank you. So much, Laura. Thank you, Karen. Thank you, Tony. Yes. Thank you, everybody. Thank you so much. Thank this you. is so great. So glad we could host you and to my fabulous co-host, Karen. <laughs> hey, we all have to learn our own modern cha-cha for what's going on in the world today, right? You know what I mean? Everyone has to dance their own way. And like Tony was saying, <laughs> everyone has an opportunity to go and create action at any type of moment. So like I said before, there's you're never too old. You're never too young. Standing against injustice is a powerful thing. And I said, I feel like this broke down so many stereotypes as what we see represented in the media and on screen and in film. And that's what being a brave maker is all about. But I do want to hear a little bit, one more question, which is what Laura was saying, like what makes a brave maker? You touched on it a little bit, but I feel like you, you can elaborate that a little more. Like what is your definition of a brave maker? Um, I mean, I think we've hit upon it a little bit already. I think you just have to be willing to, um, you have to be able to see the world in a different way. And that means, I think, exposing yourself to different sources of information than you're used to. This is a moment when you might not be getting all the information that you need from your immediate community. So it's a good time to reach out beyond your immediate community to learn about someone else's lived experience. And and take that in. When Once you expose yourself to that information, you need to be able to um, integrate that into your own life and into your own perspective and your way of viewing the world. And that's how we're gonna create change is, is by being open to hearing and listening and deeply feeling what other people's experiences are like. And so I, I really hope that that is something that we can all do um, as brave makers, as as citizens and just as human beings. Right on. Good last word. Thank you so much to all of you. Go to our, our website, bravemaker.com slash buzz to sign up for our weekly emails and more great conversations like this. Thanks everybody. Brave stories change the world. You are the story. Thanks for listening to the Brave Maker podcast. Subscribe, give us a rating and share with a friend. Brave Maker is a 501c3 nonprofit organization. Our work is funded by generous patrons like you. Support the podcast with a tax-deductible donation at bravemaker.com. Brave stories change the world. You are the story.